You know, so many times people ask me, I need to know the will of God. Would you please tell me what God's will is for my life? And so many people get stressed out over that. So tonight I'm going to make it real easy. I'm going to tell you what the will of God is. And uh, if you're here for the studio, we're going to meet in the prayer room, 18 to 28, or 18 to 30s, or 20-somethings. Right over there is where they're meeting. Patrick's making his way over there now. So you are invited to go on over there and be a part of that meeting tonight. Praise God. Go on. Don't be shy. Go on. Go over there. Be, be blessed. But I want you to take your Bible. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. How many are ready to get in the Word tonight? You ready to get in the Word? I'm ready to get in the Word. Let's dig in deep. Let's see what God has for us. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Now the scripture tells us here, before I formed you in the womb. I want you to think about this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now that's like, that's like meeting somebody. I met a pastor today and he looked familiar. And I said, have we met before? And he said, no, I don't think so. I said, you look so familiar. Has that ever happened to you? When you thought you've met somebody... Well, here the scripture says, before you were even formed, God said, I knew you. You think, how can you know me when there wasn't a me to know? But God already knew Jeremiah before he was even formed in the womb. And he said, before you were born, I sanctified you. And I love the whole concept of being sanctified before I was even born. The word sanctify means set apart for the use of God. So before anything happened, before you took your first tumble as you tried to get up and walk, before you've had your first uh, experience riding a bicycle, it didn't matter what it was, God said, you know what? Before you were born, I set you apart for my purpose, for destiny. Then he says this, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. You have received your ordination. You have already been ordained. Not by a denomination. Come on. But by God Himself. Hallelujah. We have been ordained by God. And I want you to put yourself in the place of Jeremiah. Because this wasn't exclusive just for him. This was for the kingdom of God. Because so many people want to locate God's will for their life. And I believe that the decisions that we make and the choices that we make... Even based on our best assessment of the situation can be flawed without God's input. We need dependency upon the Holy Spirit to give us the direction that we need in life. Because we're limited as humans. How many know that's true? Let me see your hand if you believe that. We are limited. I don't care how intelligent you are, how many degrees you have, how, many money, how much money you have, how many people know your name, all the stuff that you own, you and I are limited as human beings. And we need God's guidance. I think that's why the Bible says He's our shepherd. A shepherd is the one that guides the sheep. And so if He's the shepherd and we're the sheep, then we must be in need of guidance. Look at somebody and say, you need to be guided tonight. Come on, they may not think so, but they need to be guided tonight. You know, so often we think, even in our best mental state, have you ever had a great day where you're really on top of things? I mean, you are sharp as a tack. You remember everything. You're moving and grooving. I mean, you're multitasking. You're having your best day. Have you ever had any of those? Well, I remember, Pastor, I used to have those. but I No, do you know what I'm talking about? You, get, you just get in the groove and things are happening. Even in your best mental state, it matters not 
Because you and I are incapable in our humanness to make reliable and stable choices. So I don't care how much you are on your game. You and I need the Holy Ghost. We need the shepherding of God in our life. And if you want to know what the will of God is, it is found in the destiny of the heart of the Father. It is found in the track that has been laid out for you and me to run on. It is found on that course that has been ordained before the foundations of the world, that when you and I broke through into our human being form, when we took on this physical body, God from the foundations of the world had already laid out a track for you and I to run on. We don't have to go looking. We don't have to make a track. We don't have to make a way for our life. We just have to discover our lane. Say that with me. Discover our lane. Say it one more time. Discover our lane. What do I mean by that? On a track, there are many lanes that people run in. And when you run outside the lines, you're disqualified. And once we discover our lane, all we have to do is follow the lines. That's what it is to find the destiny of God for our life. Is to locate the destiny is by engaging in running the race. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 said. Look at the Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And I like this last phrase. And let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. God has already set a race before us. And all he's asking us to do is run it with endurance. And endurance means a never quit, never give up. Don't back down and don't back up attitude. Then I'm going to run this race and I'm going to finish this race. Because we have to run with purpose. And this is where the body of Christ becomes so bored and confused and sidetracked and we get outside of our lane because we get into competitive jealousy and we want to do what other people are doing. We want to be what other people are instead of just being who God made you to be. Just be who you are. You are the best that you can possibly be. We need you. We don't need you to be another copy of somebody else. Preachers fall into this trap all the time. They're trying to be somebody else on TV. They're trying to win and influence people by some other persona other than who they are. Just stay in your lane. You know, the grass isn't any greener. You say, well, I'm going to go over here because I believe the grass is greener. Grass is grass. You know, I sometimes drive down my street and I look at people's yards and I think, wow, how do they get their grass so green? And you know what? It doesn't take long. Brown spots appear in that lawn too, just like my lawn. The grass isn't any greener. Stay in your lane. Don't be tempted to become like somebody else. Celebrate who God made in you. Be who you are. Your uniqueness is desirable. Your personality is admirable. You are someone that we need in the body of Christ. Don't try to be a cookie-cutter Christian. Don't fit into the whole mold of what everybody else is doing. Don't start speaking Christianese. Be unique. 
Be who God made you to be. And run that race that's set before you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 26. Paul said it this way, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. What was he saying? He said, I'm going to run this race, but I'm not going to do it with uncertainty. Well, I think this is what God wants me to do. I, I think this is what He wants. I'm not sure, but I'm running. And we look, like a, we look like a chicken with our heads cut off. We're trying to run around, get everything done for Jesus. We're burning out left and right. We're getting weary. We're getting tired. No endurance left. He said, run with certainty. So you and I have to locate our lane. You might want to write that down. Locate your lane. And then stay in it. And don't be intimidated by somebody else who's in another lane, running faster than you are. Because you still have a long way to go. Did you ever notice when they're in the track meet, and they take off and the gun sounds, and they're all running, and the one on the inside looks like he's ahead of those that are on the outside? But as soon as they make that first turn and get on the straightaway, everything seems to line up, and then the real race begins. Don't be faked out on the first turn thinking that you're getting behind and that you're not in the right place. Just stay focused and run with certainty that where you are is where God wants you to be. Sometimes I get a little weary of Christians who say, well, I'm not sure if this is the church I ought to be in. I don't know if this is the ministry I ought to be in. I don't know if this is what God wants me to do. I don't know if I should be here or I should be there. It's like, ay, ay, ay. Run with certainty, man. So well, how do I become certain? How do I become confident about my, about my race? This is what Paul said in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know you were predestined? There is predestination. And God said, this is my predestination. This is your destiny. You ready? This is heavy. This is deep. To be conformed to the image of his dear son. Oh, come on, Pastor, give me something we get more excited about. God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. He wants to see multiple sons walking on the earth. That's my destiny. That's my lane. That's where I'm running. Woo-hoo. Man, that is exciting to get up in the morning, and I'm running with certainty to that end. Sometimes we get sidetracked by the trinkets of the church, by the allurements of our own elevation of our steam and our need. And we, we want to become notable people. And we want to have authority and power and usurp over others. And that's all flesh, you see. What really what we ought to be focusing on is becoming more like Christ. Becoming conformed to His image. Because I believe confidence comes with certainty. When I am certain I know the answer, I'm not intimidated by your questions. And so when questions come up in life, I'm not intimidated by that because I know the answers. I have confidence today. I know whom I believed in. I'm persuaded that He is able to keep me against any day. I know, I know that God has a plan. Before I was even formed in my mother's womb, He knew me. God knows everything about me. So what's going around and what's happening to me He's not unaware of. God knows me. He certainly knows what's happening around me. So I run with certainty tonight. And you have to get that kind of an attitude 
where you don't get sidetracked by the trinkets and by the things that glitter in this life. You see, the particular race before you is not yours to make. It's one that you must and I must discover. I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, thank you for the 23rd day of July, 2009. It is a gift from you. You've just given me 24 more hours which I can become conformed to your image. I pray, God, that I would optimize my entire day. My, my, my day physically, my day solically, and my day spiritually. I know that I've been called to be a steward over time. For time is the one commodity that you cannot make up. You lose money, you can make more money. Your house burns down, you can get another one. But friend, squander your time and it's gone. And so we see the conforming principle and the responsibility that I have to stay in my lane and to run this race with certainty. Salvation brought me into the mystery of predestination. He said, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these also he called. And whom he called, these also he justified. And whom he justified, these these also he glorified. Glorification. And in order for glorification to materialize, I've got to locate my destiny. One burning heart's passion is to become like Jesus in my life. One desirable, hungering, heart-beating passion is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Once I get a hold of that, once I put my hand on that, the glorification process begins to materialize in my life. And through my life. And through your life. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. He said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. Say that with me. To reveal his son in me. One more time. To reveal his son in me. God separated me from the womb. God predestined me to reveal his son in me. My goal is not just to know Jesus. My goal is to become like Jesus. And to reveal his son in my life. Thus the will of God. Now, will that happen by teaching a Sunday school class? Perhaps. Will that happen by going on a missions trip? Is that God's will? Is it not God's will? You know, those things are really not the point. The point is to reveal the Son of God in your life. And if that assists you and aids you and causes that maturation to take place, then do it. If it doesn't, if it distracts you, if it's a trinket, if it's something that impedes your progress, stay away from it. I don't care if it's a church activity or not. It's not the call. It's not in your lane. He goes on to say that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul said, you know, I can't ask people what the will of God is. Flesh and blood will confuse you. Flesh and blood will mislead you. Flesh and blood will get you in trouble. He said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I went to God. I want to know what God wants in my life. 
And sometimes flesh and blood, they just want to manipulate. Flesh and blood, they just want to dominate. Flesh and blood, they want to control. Flesh and blood want to use you. And Paul said, I couldn't go to the Pharisees. I couldn't go to the Sadducees. I couldn't go to organized religion. I had to go to Jesus himself. I had to understand the sanctification set apart from the time I was born. He knew me before I was even formed in my mother's womb. And I had to stay focused that I might materialize the glorification process in my life. I'm not getting sidetracked. This is my life. This is who I am. I press on. I press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. This is what I live for. This is what I breathe. This is what I move for. This is why I eat. This is why I sleep. This is why I exercise. This is why I read my Bible. This is why I love my wife. This is why I pay tithe. This is why I pray. Because I want Christ revealed in me. Not because the church needs my money. Not because my wife needs a good husband. Not because my kids need a father that understands. That's true. But that Christ be revealed in me. When that's your motivation, you can't help but be a good husband. You can't help but be a a tithing member. You can't help but be a prayer warrior. Because you are so motivated. Your heart burns with passion to be like Jesus. That you can't stand it until you are. That's the burning fire that Pastor Troy was talking about on Sunday. That we must once again ignite in our hearts. Oh, to be like him. To be like Jesus. You see, once you were born again, you were placed on the positive side of destiny. There's no longer a negative side to my life. There might be negative people. There might be negative occurrences and circumstances. But I am on the positive side of life. Because my destiny is positive. My destiny is to be revealed the Christ through me that I might be conformed to His image. That's a positive thing. There's nothing negative about that. People might cause negativism to come to me. Situations, materialism, lack, poverty may attack me. Sickness and disease may come upon me. But those things cannot hold me because I am on the positive side of destiny. I can look at sickness right in the face and say you cannot impede my progress to become like Jesus, even though you cause my body to waste away. Take all my money, take all my relationships, take all my material goods, and nothing will deter me and impede my progress to becoming like Jesus. Because I am consumed with love for God. Oh, but be, but be, but be, but be allured by the little trinkets, you know. If you don't have a little b- bit of money in your pocket and, and suddenly now God is not that good to you, is he? Hmm? Because your focus is really not on becoming like Jesus, like revealing the Christ in you. It is to fill your pocketbook with change. To walk in health. To have houses and cars and all these things to show that God's favor is on your life. Oh, little wanderer, you have gotten out of your lane and you have crossed over and you have mislocated. You have been dislocated from the very purpose of God for our life. So what can man do to you? What is it that our focus ought to be as a local church? Just to press in to know Christ and to reveal him in every word, every thought, every action, every deed, every, every, every uh, body Language, every, every, every concept, every meeting, every relationship. Our focus is to say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, 
the hope of glory. You see, we're on the positive side of destiny. God's mercy has located me. You and I are destined. We're destined for honor. God wants to honor you. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, verses 4 to 7, he tells us in that particular scripture that he is going to bless us. He said they'll rebuild the old ruins. They'll raise up the former desolation. They'll repair the ruined cities and the desolation of many generations. That's the message of the anointed one and his anointing. That's the message of Christ. That's who Jesus is. That's what he came to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel. It is Jesus who did these things. And we, becoming like him, are able to do the same works. But people today are in love with the world. Next scripture. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of your foreigners shall be plowmen and your vine dressers. Next scripture. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord and they shall call you the servants of our God and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory you shall boast. Next scripture. And instead of your shame, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. My future holds double honor. Say that with me. Lift your hands up. Say my future holds double honor. My future holds double honor. Now, why am I having you say that? Because from the time I was a little boy, I remember my parents doing this. Shame on you. I am shamed from my mother's womb. The air of my way, the sin of my life, the guilt and condemnation of my ways has shamed me. But when I get in the lane of destiny, when I get focused on revealing the sun in me, suddenly shame is lifted. That's why Isaiah in chapter well, Isaiah 61 and 1 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There are things I am ashamed of, but it's under the blood. And I'm no longer walking in shame. I'm walking in honor, double honor. Hallelujah. So don't let the devil put shame on you. Don't let the people put shame on you. Don't let your life, your past, the enemy put guilt and condemnation on you. That's why Paul wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are in their lane. Who are in their destiny who are in their pursuit of Him, who are in their revealing of Him. You get what I'm saying? When you and I are in there, there's no shame in that lane. <sighs> hmm. See, it's your time to shine. Say that with me. It's my time to shine. Hey, Amen. It's my time to shine. That's exactly what I feel. See, because every step you take, every decision that you make, either takes you forward or backwards. Every choice. That's why this month's read by Andy Stanley, The Wisest Choice. That book is dynamic and for 10 bucks it'll change your life. Because not every decision you make will be wrong. Not every choice you make will be immoral. Not every choice you make will be unbiblical. 
But is it the wisest choice? In light of your pursuit of the revealing of the Son of God in your life, is it the wisest contributing factor to that pursuit? And if it is not, drop it! My time to shine. It's time to locate myself in God's plan. What is God's plan for the earth? First of all, I have to realize that he's given me a lane to run in. And I can run with certainty. When I have certainty, I have confidence. Man, I know who I believed in. I know that my God is able. I know that I'll never be forsaken nor is righteous begging bread. I know that. I know that my God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. I got confidence today that God is good all the time. Amen? Come on, say that with me. God is good all the time. Somebody shouted, God is good. All the time. He is good all the time, church. Come on now. You see, the scripture tells us in Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7, that Israel was trying to become religious. They were trying to become like Jesus. They were trying to become like God. And what were they doing? Religious stuff. God said, let me help you out. It's not your fasting. It's not your long prayers. It's you locating your lane and running in it. It's your pursuit of me. It's you engaging in my plan for the earth. Isn't it interesting when Jesus came into the synagogue out of Luke chapter 4, out of the 40 days of testing in the wilderness, he didn't come in there and he goes, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to build big churches. Did he say that? Oh, he has anointed me to go on television and preach to the nations. Close, but that's not what he said. I mean, think about it with me. He said, is it not the fast that I've chosen? How is it that we can choose God's, not God's choice? It's amazing. We, being God's people, choose something other than what he would choose. And still feel like we're in there. Isn't that amazing? Watch what he says. To loose the bands of wickedness. Say that with me. To loose the bands of wickedness. This is God's choice. Loose bands wickedness. Number two. To undo the heavy burdens. Let's say that. Undo heavy burdens. Sounds like Luke chapter 4, 17 through 19. What else here? To let the oppressed go free. Say that with me. And let the oppressed go free. Oh, this Bible stuff. All right, what else we have in here? And that you break every yoke. Come on, say it with me. And that you break every yoke. Now, 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 there's the church. (laughs) I want to go to a church that does that. That engages in kingdom stuff. Instead of religious stuff. You see, how do we shine? How do we let Christ shine? Is we engage in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He said, is it not to share bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and hide and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Do you know how blessed we are tonight living in Lorain County? Do you know how blessed you are living in the, and coming to a church in the city of Lorain? Do you know how positioned 
for increase. We are. No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. Listen, listen, listen. God said you will always have the poor with you. Dude, God, come on. Bless them poor people. 67% of the citizens of this city live at or beneath the poverty level. Almost 80% of the dwellings in this city are rentals. Less than 8% of the population of this city have a college education. 30% of every household, 30% of the households of this city are single parented. (laughs) Are you getting excited yet? Huh? Are you getting excited? Do you think there might be some bonds of wickedness in this city? Do you think... Do you think there might be? Do you think there might be some oppression in this city? Huh? Do you think so? Do you think there might be some, some room to let Jesus shine in this city? And just think about it. God's put us right in the middle of it. Well, that's great, Pastor. I'd rather, be, I'd rather be in Westlake where all the money is. Shoot. When you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. God has trusted us enough to be here. This is the greatest opportunity that this ministry has ever seen in 30 years. 13.5% unemployment in this city. 4.5% above the national average. Most economically depressed area. Recent survey was told to me it is the most corrupt, politically corrupt region in America. Hallelujah! (laughs) And God saw fit to put you and me right in the middle of the mess, baby. This is a job for the kingdom of God. This this is a job for the church to come forward and rise up and shine. (laughs) Amen. It's time to locate yourself in God's plan. Well, what is God's plan? Come on, preacher, help me. What's God's plan? To engage in these courses of action will cause a supernatural reaction. When you and I loose the bonds of wickedness, when we begin to uh, 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 set the oppressed free, you've got to get more aggressive, church. We've got to walk on a street, be led of the Lord, speak to a person that we do not know, and say, Sir, ma'am, Holy Spirit is showing me something about your life. Can I pray with you? I re- rebuke that devil. I loose those bonds of wickedness. Over your life. Every service that we have. Every time anybody comes through the door. There ought to be freedom in this room. There ought to be healing in this room. There ought to be release of supernatural results in this room. Why? Because we are choosing God's choice. That's the premise in Isaiah 58. Let's look at it further. Do you have a few more minutes? 
All right, let's get it on. Let's do it. I mean, we're going to do it. Let's go all the way. I mean, come on. If we're going to deal with this stuff, let's deal with it. The results are spectacular. Verse 8 of Isaiah 58. When we take away the yoke from our midst, when the pointing of the finger is taken away, when speaking of wickedness, if we extend our soul to the hungry and we satisfy, satisfy the afflicted soul, then, everybody say then. Then, 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 then. That's the reaction. That's the supernatural reaction. Say supernatural reaction. Do you feel it? Supernatural reaction. When I do this, God does that. So if I want to see that, all I got to do is this. It's sort of like push this button and get that token. All I got to do is push this button. Say, well, I want that token. Well, you got to push the button. Well, I don't want to push the button. I want the token. You can't have the token unless you push the button. So we do that. We get this. This is what he said. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. We're hearing some great results of healing recently. I mean great results. Hallelujah, great results. Thank you, Jesus. When you've been in the ministry this long, you've been in one church this long, you have seen battles of cancer and battles of disease and people lost them and they died prematurely and it's tough on the family and it's heartbreaking and it's a loss of a great life. God said, then you shall see healings like the morning. I thank God. Three in the last three or four months, testimonies of healing. Now they didn't go through the battle. Well, they went through the battle. Actually, four. Mary Jo went through hell. And now is cancer free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, come on, church. And then. Naomi, you heard a testimony. Her cancer imploded instead of exploding. The characteristic of this cancer was to explode. It's supposed to go, it went in. And they got it all and she's cancer free. And a woman on the west, I mean the east, we're in the west. In the east, came from an out of town two hours away to be prayed for. Filled with tumors. We played at least the Bible on her side. And weeks later, her cousin comes back and says, I got to tell you what happened to Michelle. I got to tell you what happened to Michelle. The doctors say, we can't explain it. We don't understand it. But it's like all those tumors came together and became one tumor. And we took it out and she now is cancer free. Only God healing in the morning, like the morning. And then I get a call this week from my friend and my good brother, Hector Solis, who's been fighting cancer in his kidney. And went through surgery, went through challenges. And he said, I just got back from the doctor. I've got to tell you, Pastor, I'm cancer free. I said, oh God, I think we're getting it. I think we're getting it. I think we're starting to feel this. I think we're starting to get this. And right now, as we sit here, Phil Smith is up in EMH with an attack on his heart. 
Right now, as we sit here, Laura Schumann still needs the full control and, and release of the right side of her body. As we sit here tonight, Michael Hall from the East, who was attacked in his heart last night and is there in the hospital, and the Georgiadises are here tonight. Your brother, taken to the hospital this morning, needs a touch from God. And one after another after another. And I'm here tonight just not to preach and fill up a service. But I'm here to make a demand on the raising up of God's healing power. And the wings of healing like the morning. So you and I must do what God's called us to do. And begin to touch the poor. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Release the oppressed. Set free those that are under the heavy hand of the darkness of this world. When we do that, the scripture says, Then your light shall spring forth like the morning. Oh God, thank you. The results are spectacular. Verse 11 tells us in that scripture, If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, Your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. There it is. There it is. God will guide you. Remember, we said even in our best mental state, we're incapable of making choices that are both stable and correct. We need guidance. Here it is in verse 11. You get guidance with the whole package. I can't make a wrong decision. I'm doing this stuff, man. I'm undefeatable. Not in myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm a wimp in myself. But in Christ. Come on. In Jesus, man. Come on. When my focus is to reveal the Son of God in me, I become transformed. The Scripture is telling us clearly tonight, we become repairers of the breach. Restore a path to dwell in. That's our job. That's our call. That's our lane. I challenge you. We have six spots open. November 2nd through the 7th. And you could take a trip just four and a half hours away to Destiny Village in Haiti. I challenge you to go. So what would I do there? I don't know. I'm not a preacher. You can love kids. You can carry rice and beans up to a village, up a mountainside. You can tell people about the love of Christ. You can give a child a bath. I said, well, come on, Pastor. I, why would I drive all the way to Haiti to do that? It's the most impoverished nation in the Western Hemisphere. Do you think maybe God loves Haiti? Oh, I got a feeling he loves Haiti. Where there you have to bathe the children three and four times to get the dirt off of their bodies who haven't had baths their whole life. And you can go for about $800, $1,000. But you have to come and call and sign up now because the spots are first come, first serve. But come, bring your children, bring your family. Husband and wife go together. I don't know, Pastor, why would I do that? I, I got so much going on. You know, right now we're kind of, you know, busy and we don't have that much money. Listen, I understand that. But I need the then in the city. We're desperate. We need the then. We need the then till your morning. 
rise up with healing. We need the then. We need, we need God to show up. And when we bless those that have nothing, we get those things. Watch this now. You and I were created to full, fulfill a definite purpose on the earth. You're not a creature of chance. Just got a call this morning. This morning, the Philippines. Women that lived under a bridge. Prostituting themselves to feed their children. A woman, just a woman in a church, just a woman. It attends the East Church. Just a woman like you, lady. Just sitting in church one day and thinking, I can make a difference. Gets people together, goes over there, rescues all these people. Raises money and buys a house and puts them in there. Helps them, helps them start a business making purses. Self-sufficient. More people come, more orphans. Now she has to have more houses. One woman, nobody knows her name, doesn't have a ministry, never saw her in Charisma Magazine, never see her interviewed on TBN. But taking people out from under a bridge and suddenly with dignity putting them in a home. Let me tell you, Jesus is smiling. Now going back at the end of August, and you could go with her, we're going to build little homes. Nothing like we have here, but out of block, out of, out of tin roofs. But we need men that can do one week of construction, that maybe can do masonry, maybe you can do electrical, maybe you can do whatever, to help us build these houses. They cost $1,000. And you spend a week loosing the bonds of wickedness. Or maybe Uganda. November 30th, be traveling to the place that I was last year that today are starving to death. And I have to go back to that same city. And I think, God, how can I go back with all the abundance in my life and these people are dying because they have nothing to eat? Huh? Come with me. I don't know how I could do that. Do car washes. Pick up cans on the side of the road. Do something. Borrow money from your uncle. They don't need it anyway. Get some money. Go get some time off. Say, how can I do this? I don't have any vacation time. Go talk to your supervisor. Talk to your boss. Tell him what you want to do. Maybe he'll say, you know what? We want to help you. We'll pay half of your way. You've never asked. You don't know. But what could happen? As a result, God said, I'm going to bless you when you loose the bands of wickedness off of others. You say, well, pastor, I understand that, but you know, I just don't really feel like, like when you do that kind of stuff that it really makes any difference. That's a social gospel and we believe in the Holy Spirit here. You know, feeding families and clothing people and, you know, praying for them. Casting out demons and stuff. I mean, you know, like a little bit edgy for me. Let's read Matthew 25 and I promise I'll quit with that, Okay. Because there's a lot of controversy about this in the church. It's always somebody else that's going to do it. But you know, Jesus simply said this. Because the Son of God Himself, when He comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, He'll sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He'll set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. 
Or I was hungry and you gave me food. Every Thursday at 11 a.m. at Certified Auto, right here, just 10 minutes from the church. Every, every Thursday. Last year, over 12,000 people were fed. 12,000 people fed. You can go. You can pass out food. You can help people. You say, well, yeah, you know about those people. No, yeah, I know they got money. And they, they're just taking advantage of us. Listen, I'm not going to judge them. I'm just going to be obedient to what God told me. Don't disqualify. Don't justify. Show up on a Thursday. What can I do? Can I sweep the floor? Can I stack boxes? Can I bring food? Can I help you? Can I pass them out? Can I sign people in? What is it you want me to do? Can I pray for them as they stand in line? And the answers will be yes, 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 yes. You can, yes. Jesus said, When I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Well, Pastor, I've never been to a prison. I had a man last night came to me after the service. He said, for 27 years, I've been a Christian. I have never gone to a prison. I've never fed anybody. I've never worked in a soup kitchen. I've never been on a missions trip. I am absolutely embarrassed after this sermon. And I said, good. You can make a change tonight. So what happens in this story? You've read it. You know about it. I don't really need to read it, but I'm going to anyway. But here's what it says. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, come on. When do we see you hungry? When do we feed you? When do we thirsty and give you drink? When do we see a stranger take you in a naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or prison and come to you? And the king answered in the same Surely as I say, inasmuch as you've done it to the least, least, the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Oh God, that is like off the hook. I'll never forget the feeling that I had. Probably the most rewarding moment in ministry. One of the top. And I'm sure there's been others. But this is one of the top. It was one of my first trips to Haiti. I think it's called Mayar. The village. Far removed off the, off the main roads. You have to take a truck in. Off the road. And, and then you get into the cornfields. And the, and the harvest fields. And the banana fields. And you drive through that. And then you can't go any further, so you have to get out and you have to walk. And then you have to walk up a hill that's on about a 45-degree angle. And sometimes you can take the truck up there, uh, but it's not advisable because you could fall out. (laughs) And this day we couldn't because the road had been eroded by rains and, and, and we brought rice and we brought beans and we brought oil and I brought Bibles in the Haitian language. This village, from what I was told, had never had a Bible. Never. And I said to myself, I'm going to carry these Bibles up this hill and hand them to a pastor who lives in a, in a condition that's, that's worse than what our dogs stay in today. Whose family lives two and a half hours away and only sees them on occasion, but he feels called of God to bring the gospel to these people because they've never had the gospel presented. And he needed Bibles. So I took a case of 24 hardback Bibles and put them on my shoulder. And I said, with God's help, I'm going to walk up this hill. And I'm going to give them. And I walked up and I 
almost stumbled and fell. And I put it on the other shoulder and I said, no, I've got to take these Bibles. Let me help you, Pastor. I'll help you carry that. I said, no, I'm carrying these Bibles. I'm giving them to him. By the time I got to the top of the hill, I was utterly drenched. I was exhausted. And I walked there and I said, I have to see the pastor. Where is the pastor? He came out. He greeted me. He bowed down to me. He greeted me with, with humbleness and humility. And, and, and I said, here are some Bibles for your church. And he wept. And I said, God, I don't deserve, I don't deserve this moment, God. This is, this is beyond my, my imagination. This is beyond anything I would have ever expected. And you paid for the Bibles. I took pictures and I sent people who gave me money to buy the Bibles. I gave you a picture of me handing those Bibles to him. So you can see your giving put a Bible in the hand of a pastor who did not have one, nor his congregation. And Jesus said, when you do that to the least of these, my brethren, you do this to me. When I handed those Bibles to that pastor, it was as if I had the privilege of handing them to Jesus myself. Another time we were riding, we were riding, and there's so many stories, and I don't have time to tell you all of them, but we were riding in, in a remote village, and the, and the road is so eroded, uh, it's, just, it's just mud, and it's all eroded by the, by the water coming down from the mountain, and many times people are swept away with heavy rains and hurricanes, and, and, and there's no way of stopping the water, it just comes gushing down, because all the trees are gone because of the exploitation of that island, and and, and it's just barren, basically rock. And so when the water begins to fall, it falls with great velocity and sweeps people into the ocean. And they're never seen again. And so these roads are all rutted up. And we were driving on this road and bouncing all over the place. And we happened to see down below this, this road, there was, a, there, was a, there was like a little valley going down, probably 100 feet below us and, and, and the ocean. And there was probably four or, five, four or five huts. You remember the fishing village? We saw four or five huts. We said, stop the truck! And we gathered together some beans and some, some plastic blue bags and, and we got some oil and, and we said, let's take them some food. And we grabbed those bags and we put them in, in, in the blue bags and tied them up and we all grabbed as much as we could and we began our descent down that, that eroded, uh, rutted pathway, making it down to the bottom of the hill and walked up to these families and they all greeted us and welcomed us into their humble abode. Just, just driftwood stacked together to form somewhat of a structure with, with maybe ten pieces and cardboard and, and some branches as a roof. A little fire going and children running naked around the fire and, and a goat over here and a, and a mule that, that, that looked like it was on its last leg over there by itself in a fishing boat, a, a boat that looked like it came from the times of Jesus, s- s- tied to, to a log, a big drift log there. And we came up and we handed them the food. And Jesus said, when you've done this to the least of them, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And I gave Jesus beans. And we get to catch the vision of this every, every Saturday for, for years, for 15 years. We pick up children at risk that live two to five miles from here who are living in conditions with no parents, no supervision, with drug-infested communities that aren't eating properly, that are failing in school, that have no mentors. You don't have to go to Haiti. You can go down the street. 
My, 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 my focus tonight is to not make anybody feel guilty or condemned. I'm just presenting to us opportunities. Amen. And I want to challenge us all tonight, this week as a family, do something for somebody else this week. Amen. Bake a pie for your neighbor. Knock on the door and say, you know, I've really not talked to you, but I, I just want to let you know that God loves you. And here, enjoy this apple pie. Do something for poor. Do something for those that are without. Do something for, as a family, as a project. Adopt a child. Sponsor a Joshua kid. Go to camp here coming up next week. Spend one day with the children. Just one day. And Jesus said to the least of these, my brother, you've done it. I want to read once again Isaiah 58. He said, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. In the 30 years of ministry that I've been in this church, I have never seen us more challenged than before, than today, ever before. Never, never more challenged. Economically, the church is where it was 22 years ago. It's how far back we have to go to remember the amount of income the church experienced 22 years ago. Some 10 to 12,000 a week less than what we used to receive. I didn't say a month. Every seven days, 10 to 12,000 dollars less and now is the time for us to give not wait till you have I like what John said you give what you have not to hold back but to say you know what I'm giving this to Jesus and I'm believing God for the victory what a great opportunity we have. We are on the precipice. Great breakthrough. I believe we're going to see our church become a healing Holy Ghost hospital. Believe that. We've had many, many healings over the past. But I believe we will see many, many where people will come. Even as they come to the Cleveland Clinic from around the world, they'll come to this place because there's healing like the dawning of the morning. Aren't you excited? Let's stand up. I am so excited. Oh, anointing fall on me anointing fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Now just lift your hands up right now. Just ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see 
Open your ears to hear. Empower us tonight, God, and let us hear the cries of your children. Let us hear the cries of the nations. Oh God, let your anointing, let your anointing fall on us, Lord. Fall on me. I want you to put that track on. I want you to listen as we worship together in this song. Because the cry of the people is to be heard tonight. Let it go into our spirits. Let it go deep into our hearts. Let it be a calling that is divine. You can turn it up a little bit. A silent call from a distant land Crying for a helping answer How will it go on? Ignorance and vanity Supersede humanity So how will it go on? I want to know How will it go on? We can't wait any longer Crying out doesn't it matter We can't wait any longer No, no Too long in a slumber Shake it up, wake it up Say 
But Father, this evening, we hear the cry of the Holy Spirit that we would locate our lane, that we would, oh God, pursue with passion the revealing of the Son in our lives. And that we would embrace the mission of God on the earth. For your word declares that all the law, all the prophets were summarized in these two. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and your strength. Thus, to pursue the revealing of the Son in us. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Thus, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, bring in the stranger, visit the sick, and set free the prisoner. I pray tonight, Father, as a church, that we would recalculate or even as a GPS has determined the best route for us to take, we've often taken our own turn and it must recalculate I pray tonight Father that we would recalculate and as a church rise up and meet the greatest opportunity that we have seen at least I have seen in the last 30 years I bless this house Father thank you for this church the privilege it is to be here with the people of God and I bless them Lord because I know they're precious in your sight and I thank you Father for a family a real family of God bless them for their generosity bless them for their compassion and their love for others and thank you Lord this church is one of the greatest examples of Christian love that I've ever seen. So take us higher, Lord. And may we, when we walk out of this room tonight, walk into your world. Because your world... been neglected by most of us you said father that you've come for those that are sick they're the ones that need a physician so help us to go to your world so today father we recalculate get on track and we promise to run this race with certainty I pray for every man in this room tonight to become part of an intercessory team that will literally change the course of this church so I ask you tonight guys if you will just look up at me for a minute 
I asked for the Lord to give me 300 men that would pray with me around these altars before church. And I felt checked in my spirit because I didn't think I could get 300. So I said, God, give me a tithe. Give me 30 men that will on their knees 30 minutes before church on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings cry out on behalf of the helpless, the hopeless, the bound, the destitute, the sick. So I'm going to ask you that if you will make a covenant with me for the rest of this year. I'm not going to ask you long term. The rest of this year, you say, Pastor, I'll be one of the 30. As long as I'm able, I'll be here on my knees with you, crying out on behalf of a generation that I'd like for you to call my office at extension 129 and just say, hey, my name is Bob and I'll be part of the 30. And I want, I want to see men, not women, I love you. And you're already praying. You got 30 of you, more than 30. But I want 30 brothers that will pray with me. And if you'll allow me, I've, I've kind of retreated from the front door to be at this altar. And uh, that's kind of where I'm going to be for right now. It's what I sense I need to do. So I've shaken hands out there for about four years or five years or something. But I'll be here and I want to find 30 guys that will say, I'm going to be there with you. Okay? And I believe that our lives will never be the same. Okay? So if you've not received Jesus tonight as your Savior, and if you were to die today without certainty, you don't know whether you'd go to heaven or hell, don't leave this room without Jesus. We want to pray with you. Maybe tonight you've come with a specific need that you need laying on of hands. The Bible said, if there's any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and pray the prayer of faith, and he shall raise you up. We also believe that God wants to baptize people today with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The evidence is speaking with other tongues. If you need that baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to pray with you about that. Maybe God's calling you to become a part of this church. We need you. We need your gifts. We need your personality. We need you to be you. Don't try to be anybody else. Just be you. We'll love you just the way you are. So maybe you need to pray about that. Maybe you're backslidden. You say, you know what? I've not been really hot for God. I've been on fire for God. But I want to make a recommitment to Christ tonight. I've given you five things you can respond to. Maybe there's other things. But I'm going to ask for the elders and altar ministers to come. If you need prayer tonight specifically, we don't want you to leave, go that way, until you've been blessed and touched by God. Because we believe that Jesus is here tonight. Amen? So you live right, love everybody, pray hard. And should Jesus come between now and Sunday, I'll see you on the north side. God bless you.